Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Today, we are joined by Mark Samuel, who's the founder and CEO at I Want Organics. So Mark, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you guys have been building at I Want. Sure. I Want Organics. We're an organic plant-based California. Uh, got it going in 2016, but really got it... Um, really got off the ground in 2018 when we started our extruded snacks, which people know us for our, our puffs and our sticks. So I uh, got a small team here in Northern California and just sort of making it, making it happen. So in terms of the background, how, like what was the kind of inspiration for the company? Um, and what was your background a little bit before you started uh, spinning up Iwan? Yeah, the, the last few ventures that I were involved with were in health and, and wellness. Um, they were consumer goods products uh, prior to this, but um, I live a healthy you know, fitness lifestyle. Uh, so it was something that, you know, I was passionate about, as they'd say, um, I wanted to get in food and beverage of some sort. So I kind of married the two um, with regards to I1. I, I eat a certain way, which I call balanced nutrition as far as proteins, fats, carbohydrates, a uh, big believer in eating whole foods. So snacking is it's kind of a, a, a always been the question mark when I because uh, I don't talk on snacking a lot. Um, I just knew I wanted to have better for you, better snacking options for those that really were, you know, already either living that healthy lifestyle or wanted to. And Mark, one of the other reasons we're really excited to be able to bring you on is because not only uh, have you guys, have you been working in this space for a while and developing all different sort of snacks and really healthy alternatives, but like you guys have really been able to achieve um, a pretty decent size of scale, having been in the market for a while, right? Um, you guys are distributed in thousands of retailers uh, across the country. So, um, and I think what we're seeing a lot now in CPG, everyone's kind of popping up with their own different like health and wellness brand and their different take on it. So what I want to kind of use this episode to do is uncover a little bit of two things. One is the like macro trends that you're building into and being able to do this as well as um, figuring out and kind of learning from you about the operational chops and what it takes to be able to get that large uh, nationwide sort of distribution engine set up and running. Cool. You got a question on that one? Yeah. Yeah. So what, why don't, why don't you talk to us a little bit about um, what was the landscape like when you guys were getting started? What were what were the options in market? What was your value prop initially as you went to market? And what were kind of the first steps for the business? Um, I, I, it was going to be a, as we said, a, a plant-based snacking platform. Um, so we went with organic. That was number one. Um, number two was identifying what that plant was. And for me, I knew it was going to have a protein theme to it um, just because I eat heavier in protein. Um, I thought that was just the, the, the place that I wanted to play. So with that, we decided on legumes. I'm a believer in peas and our beans uh, for higher protein and our fiber. I knew that would that we could blend something well and get a good product out of it. So we started with the higher protein chip. 
Um, that was our first product. It's, it's no longer around, but um, the, the reason for the entry into market at that time was there really wasn't a lot of savory uh, protein snacks at the time. Um, if you wanted a reference to one, uh, Quest had had just launched what was their original protein chip, was, which was not very good at the time. I'm sure they'd, they'd admit that. Um, and so we, we knew that there was something that could be built around that category or that platform. So, um, that's, that's really how we got it going and really the, the focus that we were, we were on in the, in the beginning of the business. Got it. And then from there, right? Like what, how, how far did that take you in terms of, um, developing that product, launching it, and then, um, where you went from there? So like, what was, once you developed that chip, um, you know, how many stores were you selling into? What kind of revenue? What was the business looking like after you developed that first we, product? We were lucky because we have a protein um, call out. And because I knew people in the space and, and even retail side, um, we had a nutrition supplement launch. So a partner like Vitamin Shop was able to launch a product like that. So we, we really did have a foot through the door. Um, and we, of course, went online right away and you're doing stuff, you know, you want to have a home presence uh, online. You might look at a little Amazon as, you know, again, where people are shopping is where you want to be. So um, that was how we got it going. And then we wanted to, of course, make sure we were starting our our track into conventional and or natural retail. So that was just small regional plays. Um, to get a test, get an idea what 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 was this going to do, um, and that's where you get the feedback. Also, that's where we knew the product didn't have the legs that it needed to to stand on. Definitely not build a business around. Um, and so we were educated a lot in the early stages of the business. Yeah. So I mean, you mentioned like it didn't have the legs that it needed at the time. Um, you know, sometimes, but but you still went for it, right? Like you're like, let's go out there and test it out. Some people are like. You know, you can't test it until you have everything fully figured out because you might miss your shot with the distributor and then you never have that shot again. What was the perspective um, to just go for it? Uh, I think most of us um, who have either done it before or understand that the lay of the land, if we're committed to something, we're going to keep going. Um, you, you know, not not that cliche way of keep going, but you just are keeping going on the journey that you're you're on, especially if the if the the plan, the overarching plan of building a, a, a plant based snack company is much bigger than one product. Right. Um, if you're if you're missing something in the beginning, you can have iterations of it specifically on a product like that. We were tweaking it and we were getting it to a better place. It just so happen, happens the timing, which you always need as well, um, was me learning manufacturing. So I was inside factories and understanding, okay, this is how chips work. Now let me see what's happening over on that extruded line. Um, oh, that's what a puff does. Oh, I wonder if I could you know, enter some, some peas into a puff scenario. And, and all of a sudden, you're testing out things like that or a different product line which immediately, once you've finished with maybe even a little bit of R&D, you're like, this one has a lot more legs than the other one. And I think we need to sort of make a move and, and direct our attention at that. And how did you attack both like DDC and retail, I guess, from a launch perspective in the beginning? Because again, most companies take approach we're going to do DTC first or we're going to do retail first. I mean, I assume you had a small team in the beginning, but you went after both, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, as the way you should be doing it, right, is you maybe, or at least you, before, I think that way anymore because people are really starting to move back towards retail, of course, because of all the issues online, right? But um, before, you know, you could really just be online. I mean, that's what I would almost say you should do. Drive a bunch of 
you know, traffic, drive a bunch of trial online, get some real feedback from people you don't know, let her, let, let those first hundred reviews come in on Amazon and see if you even have anything, right? I'm a big believer you need, you need taste and texture to hit for somebody to come back for a consumable product like this, right? Um, and then you can make your four-way in, into retail. You know, you go to a regional grocer or you're, you're, you're the one that's down the street, right? So long there's market fit there. Um, and you get some testing going with that. Is anybody buying, number one? And then, of course, of those people buying, are they coming back? That's enough data to be collected to then make your next moves. Got it. And then, Mark, one thing you had mentioned uh, was some of the different channels that you guys were thinking about early on, right? So um, I know you mentioned Amazon as well as your own own D2C channels. What was uh, what was your guys' experience getting set up uh, and selling on Amazon? How did it differ from your D2C channels and what were the learnings across the two? We never really did very well on our own website. Um, that's again, we weren't spending a lot anyway, so we weren't driving traffic that way. And organic traffic was just occurring, you know, maybe through our personal brand and, and things like that. You know, I, I was out there a little bit. People were, you know, people were talking about the brand a little bit more. Also early in that nutrition supplement phase, those are the type of consumers who talked a little bit more on online. On so um, the, the real move into Amazon just was naturally because you have to be on Amazon. At least I'm a believer of that. Um, it, that's where people are going to shop. And so you want to be there for them to shop for you. Um, we were lucky. We found, a, a, in our case, a, 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 a sister brother, small team, super low cost to get it going. And the big, the big difference, though, is they were really good at what they did. It wasn't like some low cost where you're getting low cost, you know, sort of scenarios. It was, it was they were just really good and they really liked us. That, that, uh, that's always the magic, by the way, that people always forget. Like you need really good relationships. So we were able to get on there, get the listings the right way, um, doing all the rule of thumb stuff that you're supposed to. And we saw traction happening there and it was just organic traction. And so um, that that's how we made the move some onto that platform. And even to today, Amazon is still 95% of our online business. So how did you then start driving traffic to your website? Like after Amazon started working or retail, what, what were some of the ways? I mean, it seems like you guys are very heavy on organic all around. Um, so, so I'm curious, what, what was the first initiative there? Uh, we, we were doing, uh, we spent a little bit of money on, on direct consumer again, before, before the, the world turned on that. Um, just to get some testing going, we saw what the you know cost per acquisitions were. They were starting to get down to a uh, you know a decent number. Um, in hindsight, you're still burning cash, and um, you have to have a different model to be built around that. If you have extra cash, and when is that second and third acquire you know acquisition going to occur, and when do I get my money back, and all that? But we we realistically, we've always been fairly organic, like you said. We get traffic just from word of mouth and then a little bit of spend on what we call influencer stuff, very micro-influencer. We don't spend heavy in that arena. We're talking about maybe people with small small followings in the areas that we like um, as far as like what they what they look like and, and how they move as far as lifestyle um, and just giving them snacks to, to talk about. I mean, that, that's really it, like real customers, right? We don't want anybody saying anything that aren't, isn't real. You like these snacks, it would be awesome if you talked about them. That was really our, our method. It's still today is that same thing. And I think another important thing about like knowing your channels and what the different, the, the way in which different customers go on them, right? And knowing what your product is. In your case, you guys are a snacking product, right? So are you seeing 
for your direct consumer sort of line? Is it a, a different behavior? Is this maybe more of a customer who's found out about you through word of mouth has maybe bought a couple on Amazon and is like, okay, all in for the brand. And they know this is something that they need to have stacked in their pantry all the time. And, and that's why they're buying the direct or is it a totally different thing? Like, is there some characteristic because of the nature of your product being a snack that lends itself to the type of customer that you're seeing across these different channels? Our customer, uh, in, in our view, is somebody who's already healthy. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's not, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, we do this better than that, or we're better for you than that one. Like, don't eat that. We're doing this. I don't really look at it like that. I, I believe our consumer's already healthy, right? And um, wouldn't, wouldn't eat a Cheeto. You know what I mean? I, and that's a, that's a really big key difference of what many try to do when they come into a space, right? Like, like, you know, position you against the other. I don't, we don't need all that. Um, and, and there's no doubt that there's crossover. Like people are looking for better for you options and they want to have the sensory uh, uh, scenario, right? Like, does this taste and feel like what I, what I'm used to? But at the end of the day, there's also a lot of people like me. They don't have to be like, you know, every day in the gym type stuff, but like they live a healthy lifestyle and they want their kids to, and their family to, and their brothers to, and, and they, 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 that's the lifestyle they live. And when you can offer them options that they don't have to think about or really be educated on, there's a really great market there for that. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. It's like you, you're basically like, why am I going to spend all this time and effort and resources, capital, educating people for, you know, forcing them to a new diet when I can just find the communities of the people that already eat these, eat this way. And if I just find them, I mean, it, the, the conversion is just going to happen faster. Um, companies spend a lot of money educating um, consumers and that's probably, did you guys raise, are you guys bootstrap? Like how, how have you financed the, the beginning of the company? Nobody's bootstrapped. I don't care what they say bootstrapped it's the funniest thing i've ever heard um yeah we we have a, we have some money in this business but it, it, at this point it's still you know what i'd consider private uh there's no equity and, and vc type money in the business what are so um and I, I guess since we bring this up what are your thoughts on like revenue-based financing that you know all these models that are now coming up um whether it's for inventory or for ads like anyone that is looking to start their own business most people you know do revenue based financing for ads others think the inventory is like you know kind of the biggest blocker um how do you view that i think it's going to be really dangerous soon um just like uh just like credit cards you know um, you know, rates are going to move and, and we're about to hit something that we haven't seen in a while. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't think anybody's really prepared for that. So you're, you're just getting loans. That's all they are. I don't care how anybody's positioning them today. They're using all these marketing words and other, it's a loan and you're paying that loan back and there's interest on that loan. And so if you couldn't stay afloat before without it, um, it's going to be a lot harder to do so when you take it on. Uh, and that's sort of how I think about it. And this is coming from someone who takes loans. Like, I'm not trying to be like the, the you know, I'm the cool guy over here. No, I, I talk, tell it how it is. It's just facts. Um, we do it too. And But but it, I like to at least vocalize it so people are better prepared and understand exactly what it is they're taking on. Yeah, I think that's a really important point just in terms of if you're going to be taking a loan, know exactly what it is and don't say, oh, this is going to be great because as the cost of capital goes up and if your business is dependent on something like that, you're, you're going to get left out to dry. So um, 
talking about capital in the early stages of building a business like this, how much capital does it did it take to like get kind of the engine moving, if you will, like in terms of getting the products developed, making your first order for it, understanding who was going to buy it, and then, you know, cycling into your next uh, purchase orders and stuff like that. I mean, realistically, even out the gate, you need a half a million dollars. I mean, just because again, I'm not talking about going to your regional stores and, and making just a small quantity. You can do that too. In fact, I talk about it all the time. Just go to your farmer's market. If you have no money and, you know, or you, somebody's lending you five grand, you can you can do a lot with that. You just go in your kitchen, make the cookies, go down to the farmer's market for 300 bucks and, and go sell $500 worth of cookies to see if anybody cares, right? Um, I, I'm all for that. I, I think that's great. And then do it again and then do it again and do it again and do it again. Um, but we we were going to try to launch something and, and we were going to go into, at that point, it was 700 stores and all that. And, and what most don't don't understand about the, the monetary side of this is just operating capital alone. So like, how would I make, you know, uh, 700 cases of product, right? How would I, you know, you got to, and whether or not you have one person or it's just you alone and you're not paying yourself anything and all that stuff, like that's all great, but like, it, it's a real business and, and, um, it takes capital. I mean, even to like spin up a website, even though Shopify makes it super easy. I mean, sometimes you do need a designer, um, to a certain point, you're only going to be able to bake so many cookies, even in your own kitchen, and then you need space. Um, Mark, I think you're you're heavy on LinkedIn. Is that right? Um, I think I was I was looking at your LinkedIn. Do you guys use that as a distribution strategy, like your own personal brand, um, to to push sort of like I guess you know what I want believes in um, and and its vision and and what it stands for when it comes to its community? Uh, I would say that without a doubt that my personal brand or, or the platform I have on LinkedIn is directly correlated to I1 in some way. Is it measurable? Probably you know, not really. Um, but do I get photos in my messages of people standing in front of the the, the, the bags at, at checkout saying, I'm buying your product right now. Yes. Um, do the thousands of engagements that I have throughout a month, right? Views, views alone. Is there something related to that? When they see my name, they know the business that I'm a part of and they're walking at the store or they're hanging out on Amazon looking for a product like Dars, would some of them buy it? probably right so that the short answer is yes and it's and it's also directly related to what the platform is about and i talk a, a lot about that it's a health and wellness platform which is the same platform that i'm talking on most of what i talk about is health and wellness i talk about sales and cpg and all that stuff but i love to talk about health and wellness so people start to correlate ah that's that guy from i1 and it just so happens i1 is really a health and wellness platform too right i mean it's a better for you snacking platform so it, it it all it all connects i what i love about that is that you know b back in um like say five to eight ten years ago this was figured out in the cpg space so, so then you would see every cpg website with like the founder and the story of the product but that's as far as they took it like this is like you're you you're showing the story, but you're actually displaying it every single day and living it and putting it out there, not just 
putting the story on, on your website and, and that's where it ends. How long ago did you start pushing that? And, and um, how, how do you continue to scale that? I, I, you talking about on LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah, there, I don't really look at a scale, I, but it scales itself, right, organically. Um, I, I want to say that it's been about two years. It could be a little bit longer where I had committed, I talk about this all the time, I had committed to posting content every day. One, minimum one post a day. There's some days I do two. Um, there's sometimes I get really neurotic and there's three. I, it, I have no plan for it other than posting content that I believe in. And it's actually, the, the, for me at least, it's the magic. Um, some do it totally different. They have like plan it out. There's like gurus in LinkedIn that are like, you should write it out. And da, da, da. I've never, ever, and think about how many posts that is, right? There's more, more than a thousand posts. I've never pre-written any post ever. Every single post is off the cuff every single time. Now, there's times that I, I know that I want to do it in the morning. I have no specific time. And then in the afternoon, if something pops up, I do it. The only one I always admittingly say this is because I kind of want to own it until it's something really big. On Saturday mornings, I ask the same question every Saturday. So it's not pre-written. I always write it a little bit differently. Every time. I just ask, what are you getting after today as far as exercise? And then I put the little emojis of the different exercises and I get people to comment because I kind of have this vision that one day I'd love it if there were literally thousands and thousands of comments because people wanted to come and, and you know, engage with that, that sort of, you know, that one post about my exercise on Saturday morning. So that, that's my, that's my tip. Yeah. So there's no, there's no mad scientist process. It's just a recipe of staying consistent, let it compound and let it do its thing. Just be authentic. I've never, I've, I'll go a step further. I've never deleted a post. I've never think about that. Right. And I've written some stuff uh, admittingly like that. I've, hmm, after I hit send, because it does I'm like, Ooh, that one's a little, I don't get ever political. I don't like all that stuff. I don't get a, you know, but when COVID was going around, I'd throw a little, I don't know what I'd call it, a little jokey joke here, there. Like, you know, I just. A spicy take. A little spicy take. And, and you know, I think people now, especially those that really engage with me, I just call it the community. Like they know my personality now. Like they've never seen me like lash out at somebody because I don't, I don't do all that. Right. I can count, which is a, a great thing, right? And ref, reflection. I can count on my hands how many times somebody's like, come at me. You know, like really like kind of nasty, right? That's a great thing. It's because people know my community. I don't mean, I, I only, I, I won't push in some love here, right? Like I might have my own position about things, but like we can talk about it. I'll never like be hard on a position. I, I, I want respect and all that. And if you give that, people give that back to you. So it, it's just a little commentary on that one. Um, Mark, also in, in regards to content, I know you're crushing it on LinkedIn are, and you're obviously here with us today on the podcast. Are there other forms of like content that you do? Do you do anything in, in terms of the other channels and do you spend your time there or is it mostly just business and LinkedIn? That's it. Yeah. I mean, I have my own personal Instagram, but like, that's like my kids. You know, like, I, and I use it like if I get stories from I one, they tag me sometimes, and I just restory it, right? But I don't, I don't, I'm not looking like in some. That's my personal stuff, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, and now just to get a little bit before you started I one, what's like your personal background? Um, How did you get all the energy as a founder to like found these businesses? I know you've been working in the entrepreneurial founder sort of space for a long time here. So, what's your journey uh, before I one? Uh, 
You mean just personally or professionally? Yeah, personally, professionally, all of it. I mean, I, you know, I have a couple kids and um, I, the last 15, 17 years, I've just done my own thing, right? I, I've always had a different business and different, some different verticals. The last few, again, were in health and wellness. Um, it's kind of all that I know. And I've lost more than I've won. And I just wrote a post about it. Like, it's a brutal business I'm in. And I don't mean just like I won. I'm just talking about th this business of of being a founder. Um, you you know, and it's and, and even right now, like, it's brutal. Like, I had to put on, I, I don't know if people don't ever talk openly about this. Like, I had to put this face on for you right now. But I'm dealing with a lot of shit right now. Like, like I, I'm actually at the factory. Like, I, this, it, we're, it's tough right now. Really, really tough. Um, and that's what we do. Like, that's what we do, right? When I'm, we show up, we show up. And right when I'm done here, though, I'm going back to the this mess, right? Um, it's tough, man. I, I think I, what was my sentence yesterday that I let off with? It was something like, um, it's, it sucks. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I saw, I saw the post. I loved it. I think you said, I often ask myself why I do this. Uh, 17 years of being a founder, eight different companies, more losses than wins. It's brutal sometimes. Right. There you go. Uh, and, and I saw that and that, that got me fired up before our conversation. Cause I was like, I relate to that. It's like, you ask yourself sometimes, it's like, what did I get myself into? Um, and I mean, you've been doing a little bit longer than myself and Ramon here. Um, but, but yeah, what, and, and I think sharing some of like, just being real about like what some of the hard parts are. Cause everyone sees all like the press about like, Oh, we have this fun fi funding announcement and we just did this. And, but like, so what are some of the, and obviously you, you guys are building an amazing business now and that's why we're chatting, but what are some of the, the hard things that you go through, um, that, that make it difficult and make being a founder, you know, hard? Well, in this scenario, right, we're in it, we're about to hit a real, some bumpy roads, right? And I, I think it's almost cliche to keep saying it, right? Like, tough times are ahead. Tough times are ahead. Fucking like, it's, it's, it, um, it's always tough times ahead, but this is, it's about to get pretty brutal here. Um, you know, people don't understand or, or, or remember what it, what it looks like. Rates are moving up. And, and what does that mean? What does that really mean? Like spending comes down, there's going to be layoffs, um, people's home equity, which was like, you know, growing at least it, that's not going to happen. That's not going to be the same case. And, and I, I this is just an economics sort of reminder, right? Like, you, you think you got equity in your home and you're rich. Like, no, like you didn't put away any cash and now your, your, now your credit card bills are mounting up and then you get late. Like that's how things move. Now what happens to us in our businesses, people stop spending more at the store or they're being a lot more picky about what it is they're buying. And I really like that product, but it's $4.99. I wonder if I can, you know, that's real stuff. And when you're in a business that's already pretty cash intense, it's, you know, it, it causes a lot of ruffles. Um, I don't know if you know our space well, but like it's, again, it's a very, very tough space as is anything. I say I'm in Northern California. I know tech, you know, I got buddies all, you know, I got it. I know it all um, as far as, you know, every vertical. Um, nothing is easy. Uh, but, um, this is a really tough, tough, tough business. And what I'd love to like go into that a little bit more, right? Because I think in broad strokes, everyone hears about like, Oh, you know, we've got, you know, the feds trying to battle inflation and like, we're going into a recession and like things are going to be bad. And then all of a sudden all the VCs are like, Oh, we're just going to take the summer off. We're not investing anything because we're watching market conditions and all this, but you're on the ground floor, right? You're an operator. You're dealing with the supply chain things, the capital constraints, like all this different stuff. So like how, like from your vantage point, 
like what what are you seeing what are the inputs that are like making this incrementally harder beyond the the downstream impacts of the consumer saying oh you know i'm being more cash conscious about how i spend my money but even as it applies to the inputs that go into your business and the way you forecast and all that sort of stuff well the inputs are, are the thing that were directly affected in the beginning which was just everything was going up right so whether or not you're buying corrugated boxes or film or your ingredients right peas can be going up um you know i oats i'm using it oats had like two massive price increases right we don't use oats but it's just it's an example and so you your your target keeps moving moving this is a margin business like many are especially you know especially a, a product um you you need to have a some sort of i i, I call it fixed margin so you understand how you're going to lay out your your you know your gna and everything else that comes below so how can you do that if it keeps moving and then most would say, well, the way you do that is you got to keep increasing prices because you're just going to pass it along to the customer. Well, it's not that easy. Um, and many have done it. We've done it too. Um, and then you all of a sudden are hit with the fact that that price increase, which could be a substantial one, is not something that a consumer can absorb. So then you got to start backtracking and you got to start going, okay, well, what, what are we going to do here? Um, so those are just a few of many, many, many things that um, are come at you at a time like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it like throws you back into the root of the business because it touches every single component. I mean, even the marketing, like then what is it going to mean for um, the marketing for, you know, that, that, you know, is that going to affect the org structure in the team that I am going to need? I, I feel like sometimes, you know, the way... The way the entrepreneurship or business world works is just sometimes I just tell myself, like, this has to be a test. Like, I'm just being tested because you can't make this shit up. Like, sometimes it's it's just um, it, the system itself weeds out the ones that, like, aren't meant to be for it. Um, because I'm just like, you got to be a little bit insane to, to go through this stuff every day for years. Uh, I, I don't know what the word is, uh, but it, it is something within us that many don't have. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just the way we're cut. And it's, it's hard to describe sometimes, um, but if you know it, you know it. Yeah, 100%. And I think the other thing you had mentioned in your post was a little bit along the lines of like, you just like, you're kind of in this zone where you're ready to accept whatever problem comes at you, you're going to be there to deal with it, right? And it's just kind of, you're, you're in there for the ups, for the downs, like, it's like you like the rush of the challenge, right? And, and, and yeah, I, I, think I mean, it's something. the only thing you can do. It's perspective, right? Like, I mean, you, it's not what happens is how you react to it. And it sounds super cliche, but really there is no other option. I, I say it as you're optimistic, even when there's nothing to be optimistic about. That's it. And somebody, if they you just sit on that for a second, it's a, it's somebody who's optimistic, even when there's nothing to be optimistic about, like, what is that? Where does that come from? Um, again, it's not for everybody. And, and sometimes I wish my, I've had people like, oh, if you could build this or maintain this business, do you want your, you know, your kids to run it? Fuck no. I pray to God that they don't, I, I say this with all the love in the world. Nobody takes, you know, harm from this, right? 
I, I pray to God that the, the, he wants to be an engineer and like, you know, go work for Google. Why, why would you not get overpaid, get a, get a ton of stock, take off as much time as you want. And that's it. I love that idea. Um, and sleep like a baby. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I'll flip, and I'll go to the flip side because I'm going to be, you know, I'll be the other guy too, which, or doesn't want to and wants to be an artist. And I, I don't know about all that. But anyway, so. Yeah, yeah I, I I can totally relate. But um, the one the one other thing that you mentioned that I thought was, was really important was the idea that you said at the end of the day, we're a margin business here, right? I think today in DTC, uh, a lot of, you see all these brands that are popping up, right? Like everyone and their mom has a new sparkling CPG brand that they're trying to get into retail. And it's like all these amazing brands and they have these great founder stories. But like, what I liked about what you said is you're like, we are, this is a margin play here. We're creating a product. We're selling it. The customer obviously has to like what we want, but this is where we make our money and this is how we have to think about it, right? So um, how, do, how did you, like as you guys started to scale up, right? How did things change uh, in the ways you thought about the business, in the way you plan things? Like what, what were some of the important inflection points for the business as you went from like getting your product out there to saying like, okay, now we're in a ton of locations. Now we're really at scale. Yeah, we're really not at scale. That's what's so so interesting about it. It's like if you know what ACV is, it's like just picking one specific category of ours. We're in such a small percentage of of, of the stores we could be in, right? Small. We're such a small brand, and it's it's so so. How do you, if if you had to like characterize it, right? Like from from when you're when you're starting to where you you're at now, right? Some people might say, "Oh, you guys are huge," and and you're thinking, "Oh, we want to be all over the world," and that's what huge is. So if you had to just break down the landscape of it, like how would you characterize each one of those batches, and what does it mean to be small, medium, big, and massive? Yeah, I don't want to be like huge and all over the world. That sounds you know, uh, it sounds great in theory, but it's um. You know, by that time you're hopefully acquired, and you're it's it's you got all these other levers that are being pulled by a, by a big company, right? Um, it's a completely different business. People don't understand, you know that. Um, I, in our scenario, like just even in the extruded snacking category, or or where we're going, like we have a cereal, but it's like it was. It was almost, I wouldn't say by mistake, but like I had, I had innovated it and it's good. People like it, but it's like the little baby over there on the side. We want to be a snacking platform. So we go from sticks and puffs, which people know us for. And then we have another snack, true snack, that's coming out in September. When we, when we hit with that, people will say, okay, now this, okay, this is what they're doing, the lane they're staying in. With that... You can go from, let's just say being a 1 million, 2 million, and you go to like 6, 7, 8 million, and you're like, all right, now we've got some household penetration, we've got some regional plays, but it's really when you get to like, just in those arenas, just in that stacking, when you get to 25, 30, you're, you're now, you're now, you're playing, you're, you're, you're at that, you're at that level. It's, it's at that point where you either flatline or you are able to take it to the next level, which is really about the 50 point. Um, and it's it's common knowledge. It's like the biggest and hardest leap. And we're not talking about like getting a bulk um, part of the business from club, which like, you know, Costco, if you got a hit at Costco just by chance, you could do a ton of volume. But like, I'm just talking about 
nicely growing your business over time with the right retail partners and have a little bit of an online business and presence there, but it's really building up to there. And, and I'll leave you with, you need a lot of capital to do that. A lot. How did how did your previous experience help you prepare? Because you mentioned that you were in health um, CPG. So when you were mapping out your retail strategy, what had you seen before that you were like, oh, I definitely remember this one and I definitely don't want to do that. Um, or, you know, I have to make sure to go geographic places that are, you know, near the, the distributor, um, sorry, the uh, co-packer or, yeah, what, what were some of the insights, I guess, that were helpful given I to experience? Didn't, I didn't have any. I didn't have any because yeah. beverage was so different. The, the previous product was a cons- consumer product in the bag space, um, you know, in bags, right? Travel bags. That's easy. You know, this is our niche. This is our market fit. It's health wellness people. I want to sell them back. You know, this is like, okay, that retailer is where our customer is. That retailer is not. This retailer will pay the price. That retailer, you know, this this customer at this retailer were not. So um, we were we were shotgunning in the beginning because I didn't, you know, really understand that and or market fit. True market fit, right? Which people love to use that term of today. Um it, it's it's very real, especially when it comes to a consumable like this. Uh, it's very very real, especially price sensitivity and just the product as it as it is, right? Just an organic product as it is, right? There's some people who would never they see organic, they would never because they they think that it's more expensive, right? You got to start really understanding that and, and understanding the position you're going to play. So it was a shotgun in the beginning, and now it's more methodical of where we're going. So for a person who is, you know, starting to play, they're starting to get to those units, they assume they can make one good, talented hire. Would you recommend distribution like marketing sales or would you recommend operations? Um, you know, what is the base you for sure want to cover there? If your sales... To be able to if, not flop... If yeah. your sales, I always, I'm a big believer that being cut with sales is a great, you know, sort of founder institute um, because you should just go sell your first million dollars. Do you have anything? Um, if so, that your, your hire or what I hope is immediate is operations. Like, you're not that guy or gal. You just, you know, you so then you flip it. You're all operations. You're the guy or gal who's just super sick at ops, you know, and like just um, your first hire is sales. If anything, it's like the immediate hire, right? Because you can't really get it off the ground without somebody like that. So that's those those are the two major players in, in the start of a business. And then, uh, Mark, when you guys were getting some of those first retail accounts, what were the accounts that like really took off for you in the beginning that were like key partners of yours in the early days? And um, what were some of the the major wins and milestones with them? And how did you, you know, secure those partnerships? We, we like Whole Foods. Like, I, I just like that. Again, and that's market fit. Like, we think our customer lives there. Um, and we were lucky. We we got asked to go to a pitch slam, which they still kind of do. All these regionals kind of do this stuff. Um, and that's how we got into the first region, actually. We won it. So we were lucky. I mean, it's timing and luck and all that. And then, of course, our product makes sense. So we see that in the first region. We're like, oh, we're selling some good amount of product for being an unknown, right? People are willing to try our product. Uh, then we got to the second region, and we just got three additional ones. So that, that's what 321 is. Um, we have some – did that go off because my thing was working? We have some really good um, – we have some really good 
retail partners that are like that. Um, we think natural is a, is a play for us, but we can play in, in conventional. Um, it's just price points a little bit uh, sensitive there, especially again, what we're dealing with right now. You got up there against a couple other brands and talked about your product for 60 seconds or however long it was. What is Pitch Slam? How does that work? Well, I, lo- I love it. I love the fact that that works and that can land you some of those major accounts like that, especially given that you guys did have have the fit for it. And I guess kind of as we wrap up here, um, one of the other questions that I had that I think you'd have some really good insight on is how how do you run your business and, and run a family at the same time? Like, how has that been as a dad? Brutal, dude. It's brutal. I um and I it, I a lot of people don't know my personal life, but I I I'm a single parent and with the kids full time. So it's it's um it's brutal, dude. It's brutal, and I say that with all the love in my heart, um, because I, I the they um I yeah that my kids mean everything to me. So it's it's parents would understand that I, I'm cut. I was cut to be that. Um, but at the same time, I have no problem admitting it's really, really brutal. Um, just keeping it, you know, keeping it real. I think one thing important to know is like for those listening is like, you know, it might, we, we've talked about the hardships and all of that. And some people might not want to listen. Some people might have even tuned out that this is so pessimistic and it's not pessimistic is realistic. Um, and, and that really is the case. You know, my father owns a hardware business and he's always, whenever I call him to complain, he always says, any business is a problem factory. Like any business is a factory of problems and you're going to get them every day. And it's not being pessimistic, you know, um, because of course, I mean, you, you have to be actually, it's likely a form of optimism to be that accepting and realistic which I love about you. That's fair. Yeah, and you got you to gotta be doing something, right, to, you know, at least have the opportunity to be able to address those problems, right? So these are, um, like you said, it's, it's brutal, but at least ha- having the opportunity to take them on head on and, and keep building an amazing business is, is, is great. So um, as we wrap up here, Mark, just wanted to thank you for coming on, sharing all that great insight with us about building out um, I1 Organics, uh, and and all, everything that goes with it. Where can our listeners find you? I know we mentioned LinkedIn. So what's your what's your I guess handle on LinkedIn, and where can they find more about um, I One and the brand? I think it's Mark Allen Samuel. I think that's what it's. Um, but if you put Mark Samuel in, it should pull me up. Um, that's on LinkedIn, and then um, I One Organics. Um, Amazon Thrive on the you know for digital stuff, and then retail. If they go to um, to the um, uh, our store locator on our website. We're in lots of great retail partners uh, across the country. Perfect. Well, we'll let you run, put out those fires at the factory and uh, look forward to keep keeping up with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Later.